Well, I also want to welcome you this morning, and I want to encourage you first. Would you please just give yourselves a hand? Just, just clap for yourselves. Good job. Would you, would you pat the back of your neighbor? Would you say, good job? Good job. You came to church today. Y'all did so good. I'm so proud of you. I, I wake up on mornings like this thinking, oh man, no one's going to come to church. And for, but for, I want you to know on, on weekends like this, when it is so bad outside, I mean, I, when I wake up Sunday, I'm just like, man, I really got to give these people a good sermon because they, they got in their boats, you know, they came to church. So I want you to know I feel, I feel the pressure uh, this morning. Uh, my name is David. Uh, and if we have not met, if you are a guest, thanks for being here. I appreciate your presence here uh, this morning, especially on a, on a day like today. Uh, in your bulletin, uh, you received this card, uh, this bookmark, uh, has on it Philippians 3.10, which is our theme verse uh, for the entire year. I want to know Christ. Uh, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. We wanted you to have that. You can put that in your Bible just to, again, uh, refocus ourselves on what everything in the life of our church is about this year, this idea of knowing Christ more tomorrow uh, than we do today. Uh, yes, Yesterday, I went uh, to the CPA. You heard already about our Easter services, three services that we're offering at the CPA. Uh, on the first day of each month, I've been filming a video just to reset this focus for you. And so this month, I, I thought, well, I'm going to do a Facebook Live video. And so I got out there with my daughter. And I don't know if you know this, but like the CPA is evidently on a mountain, okay? So if there's any wind in the area, that's where you hear it all. So if you were one of like the nine people who saw that incredible Facebook Live fail, congratulations, because you couldn't hear a thing. It was just, and me talking about the resurrection and the power of the resurrection. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to redo that. But this is what we're thinking about, and this is why uh, we, we do things like go to the CPA for Easter. I want you to know there's two reasons behind that. Number one, everyone has a seat, and no one feels like a sardine. That is a great thing for Easter, that no one feels just packed, squeeze in a little bit more, we've got to fit five more people in here. We, uh, everyone has a great seat. But there's another reason that we take Easter to the Center for Performing Arts. We as a church are taking a step into our community. When we do things like that, it's our way of saying, we don't believe that you have to come to us. We, because of the faith that we have in Jesus, we want to come to you. And so I want you to think about that as, we, as you prepare for Easter in a few weeks, as you think about inviting people to Easter, we're taking a, a step out towards our world. Uh, and every step that you take in inviting and sharing that gift is, a, is an extension of what your entire church is doing. And so I want you to think about who can I invite to Easter uh, this year for, uh, for these great services. Uh, if you have your Bible today, I want to encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. If you didn't bring your Bible with you, you can grab the blue Bible in the seat pocket in front of you. And you'll find Luke 14 on page 1624 in that blue Bible. It actually starts on 1624. But where we're going to read from is on page 1624. Would love for you to turn there uh, as we continue this series, Meeting Jesus Again for the First Time, which is about three things. This is about reading, hearing, and sharing. Uh, we've been saying this for the last uh, few weeks, uh, resetting this idea uh, that we want to read the gospel, we want to hear the gospel, we want to share the gospel. And so if you are following along with us, if you've been on this journey with us, this week you read Luke 13, 10 through 16, 18. 
Today, you're going to get to hear a message on 14, 25 through 27. And then if you're a part of one of the small groups or Sunday school classes that is going through the curriculum that we put together for you, you're going to look at Luke chapter 15 this week. And I want you to know in advance of your group meeting or, or class, if that's where you're participating, it was really hard for me to let you share this uh, rather than me preach on it. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, but I think you will enjoy being able to share with one another about that if you're part of one of those uh, groups or classes that's studying uh, the, the Gospel of Luke. The whole idea is immersing ourselves in the story, reading through it in its entirety, hoping uh, with, with a sense of curiosity that God will open our eyes to see something that maybe we haven't seen before, to, to have a deeper insight into who Jesus is and who Jesus is calling us to be. If you are doing this with a group or a class, then last week I had a confession for you. And because I shared it with you, I feel the, the need to share it with everyone. It's one of those things that I'm kind of embarrassed to admit, but you know, a better pastor wouldn't do these kinds of things, but, but I did, and I need to tell you. Uh, the, the, the confession is this, that there's kind of been a hidden agenda behind everything that we've done uh, for the last uh, four weeks, uh, a secret behind uh, what I really was trying to get you to do. And so let me just confess to you my manipulation. Uh, I have been trying to trick you into studying the Bible, okay? That's, that's what we've been doing behind all of this, all right? And, and here's, here's why, you know, it reminds me of a book titled, Lord, I've Sinned, But I Have Several Excellent Excuses. So let me just tell you what my excuse was. Uh, the reason I felt like I needed to trick someone of you is because if I would have said six weeks ago, hey, during the season of Lent, we're going to do a Bible study, some of you would have been like, what, we're going to do a Bible, I don't know if I can go to a Bible study, like that sounds really, really intimidating. And, and the reason for that, this is really funny, this is an assumption that we have, I've heard so many people verbalize this in many different ways, and I bet at some point in your life you've had this thought as well, even though the thought doesn't make any sense. Now, the thought is this, that you can only study the Bible if you already know all about the Bible. Have you recognized this dynamic? Like you think to yourself, well, I couldn't go to Bible study, what if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? Well, I, 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 there, that's for people who like know everything. I, I, I can't go if I don't already know everything about the Bible. It's a really odd assumption that we have, and yet it's, it's pretty common. So the, the goal of this has been to undermine this idea. And I hope what you have sensed over these last few weeks is not only can anyone do this, but it is best done when we do it together. When we study the scriptures together, because we not only get to hear one another's thoughts, but we also get to hear one another's questions. So last week I got an email, and the email said uh, simply this, um, can you explain Luke 14 uh, verse 26? And again, another confession for you, just this is who I am. Sometimes my first thought is the sarcastic response, and so I thought about just replying with this. Yes, I can. But I gave her, I gave her a, a fuller explanation uh, because, you know, I wanted to be nice. And I wanted to affirm that that's, that's a really big deal when someone actually raises their hand and says, hey, this doesn't make sense to me. And, you know, if you've been in a group like that, you've heard someone do that, you saw that, uh, most of the time you've probably thought, oh, I'm so glad they asked that question because I had no idea what this was all about. So we're going to look today at what was confusing uh, to our sister uh, and what may have been confusing to you if you read this week and came across Luke. 
Luke chapter 14. We're going to look beginning at verse 25. So listen to what Luke shares here. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Verse 27, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So what in the world does Jesus mean when he says you have to hate if you are going to be my disciple. In fact, this morning, going back to questions, uh, one of our true saints in the church was reading the scripture at our 815 service, and before she got up to read it, she leaned over to me and she said, I hope you're going to explain this thing I'm about to read to everybody. It's like, yes, uh, yes I am. So let me begin with this. I want to remind you of something that you probably learned in junior high, is my guess. Maybe high school, I don't know. But an English teacher taught you this at some point along the way. And if you've forgotten it, this English teacher is going to be so proud because today you're going to remember uh, this form of speech known as hyperbole. Remember learning about hyperbole. You may not know exactly what that means, but hyperbole is an intentional exaggeration that you make in order to make a particular point. So let me give you some examples of hyperboles that you have probably spoken at some point in your life. So think back to your childhood, to that moment when you did something awful, okay? For some of you, that's easier to remember than others. But there's something awful that happened in your life, and you had this sense that oh, they're gonna, I'm going to get found out. My parents are going to know. And maybe in the midst of that, you verbalized to a friend, my mom is going to kill me. <laughs> I am, maybe use this phrase, I am dead meat. I am a dead man. My mom is going to kill me. And of course, your friend didn't turn to you and say, Oh my gosh, we've got to get you out of here. What are we going to do? We got to, we got to, you're going to die. I can't believe this. No, you were, you were making a point. This is a big deal. I'm going to be in big trouble. This, this may be easier for some of you to remember because this is the other side of that equation. Uh, maybe you as a parent have verbalized to your children. I have told you a million times to not do that. And I know some of you are thinking, no, 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 really. It's been a million times. But Perhaps that's a hyperbole, an, an intentional exaggeration. Maybe, maybe you have found yourself saying to one of your kids, you are driving me up the wall. You know, as a kid, you're like, I'd love to see that. That sounds pretty cool. You know, what, is that, what does that mean? Today I worked my fingers to the bone. I will be there in just a second. It'll only take me a second. Just, just I'll take care of that. Or I am so hungry, and then just fill in the blank, because there's lots of them, right? Like, I could eat a horse. Well, I... That would be fun to see you try, but we obviously don't mean that literally. Let me give you another example. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 is talking about sin, because that's what religious people do, right? They talk about sin, and, and you may have this sense that the reason religious people talk about sin is because they want to take away your fun, but that's, that's not what's behind Jesus' teaching on sin. He's talking about sin as that which destroys our life, that which disrupts our peace, that which uh, dismantles our relationship with God and our relationships with others. And, and, he, and so he talks about it as something that really has the capacity to damage and destroy your life. And he's talking about the way in which a sinful thought or behavior often begins to take shape in your life, where it starts, where it begins. 
He's talking about how we see the world around us. That the way in which you see the world around you, what, how you see your own possessions, the possessions of others, how you see other people, how you, how you engage the world through your sight, that your eyes are a big deal because your eyes sometimes, if you look at the world in an inappropriate way, the things around you, that the eyes are the place where that first thought might be, uh, might be born, uh, where the, the behavior may begin. It's, it's how you see. And so here's what Jesus says. If your eye causes you to sin, you should gouge it out. As I look around this room, it appears that none of you have an issue with this because you have two eyes, right? You're all, you're all, I mean, if not, go grab a spork and just go to work, you know? I mean, just get that eye out there. But no, that's obviously not what Jesus means. But it doesn't mean you need to take that literally, but it does want you to understand this is important. The way in which you see the world around you, what's your, the way in which you view uh, everything, it, it's, it's a big deal. So be careful. Be careful about how you do that because that's the way in which sometimes a thought or behavior takes root in your life. So what is it that Jesus thinks is so important in what we find here in Luke chapter 14? Well, let me read to you just a little bit of what follows. Look at verse 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Plus you get the note from the HOA and that's not good. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send out a delegation to ask for terms of peace in the same way those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Uh, some of you know my first uh, job in pastoral ministry. I was a youth pastor uh, at First United Methodist Church in Cleburne, Texas. And working as a youth pastor, one of the things I learned early on is that parents love the youth pastor. Not because of anything they have done or any skill that they, uh, he or she may have, but because they are helping the parents with their children who have been inhabited by aliens, okay? These, these beautiful, sweet sons and daughters, something has happened, and they have been taken over by aliens, sorry to our students over here, and they just want help. They're desperate for help. I remember as a 22-year-old kid, parents coming, asking me for help. What should I do? And I'm thinking to myself, I have a dog. If your child is potty trained, I'm out. I mean, I got nothing else, you know, but there was this desperation. One of the examples of that, one of my, uh, just like a year after Stephanie and I got married, I got a gift from uh, some of our parents, uh, uh, the parents of, an, I think, a seventh grade girl at the time. Uh, they gave me a gift card for $100. I remember opening up one just shocked that a hundred dollars was to a restaurant I had never been to before uh, but I was really excited I mean it's a hundred dollar gift card and I'm like showing it to Stephanie and she's like oh, 
it's pretty good. And then afterwards, when, you know, after everybody's gone, we're like, oh, this is so, this is awesome. It is a $100 gift card. Again, we've never heard of this place before, but it's to a place called Del Frisco's. And, <laughs> and I kid you not, when everyone else was gone, we talked about that this is so great. This, we're going to get to go eat at this place like six times. We have a <laughs> gift card for $100. And so we and our young, just totally naive, we had no idea what was going on. This is pre-Yelp days, okay? So there's no app that you can open up. Oh, well, here's the review. We just showed up, and we walked in. And then walking in, I thought to myself, oh, no. You know, this is, <laughs> we, we, we said table for two, and it's, it's as if they knew. I mean, they could, these kids, what are they doing? So they sit us by the kitchen, you know, just that, that little bitty table there, and we open the menu, and again, it's like, oh no, you know, the sweat is coming off the, the brow a little bit. And I'm just thinking to myself, how are we going to get out of here? We don't belong here. How are we going to get out of here for less than what we would normally spend on an evening out? And to my recollection, we had water. Uh, we may have split a water. I don't know. We, we each had a steak. We split a baked potato. We said, no thank you to dessert. And I think it cost us 40 bucks uh, out of pocket after, uh, after we spent the gift card. We had no idea what that evening was going to cost. And the price was one that we were really unprepared to pay. <laughs> so several weeks ago, we started this journey. And I told you that if you have the tradition of giving up chocolate or some other indulgence just to eat all the chocolate you want through Lent <laughs> and instead read through the Gospel of Luke. Because when you do that, when you, when you begin on page one, chapter one, verse one, and you just read straight through, here, here's what happens. You find yourself reading the parts of the story that you would not have chosen to read. You find yourself engaging with parts of the Gospel that do leave you a little bit speechless, not really sure what exactly it means when you hear the word hate coming from the mouth of the one who you may so closely associate with love. It's a, it's a moment that gives you pause, isn't it? You think about what does this mean? It's a part of the story that you may have never chosen to read but when you read it straight through it's right there staring at you and you're left to wonder what does Jesus really mean when he says whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple when you read it all the way through you get a, a fuller picture of who Jesus is and what does it really mean what does it really mean to say yes yes Jesus I want to be I want to be one of your followers uh, this afternoon, you heard this in our announcements, we're having Starting Point. Uh, it's a gathering for those who want to make a membership commitment to our church. And some of you who've been around for a while, you're thinking to yourself, I am so glad I got in earlier. Because it used to be a lot easier, right? Like you just went to the back and filled out a form. That was it. You're in. You're a member. You, you're done. That's all you had to do. And, and, and several years ago, we made a decision, an intentional decision to make it harder to join the church. Harder to make a membership commitment. Now, not really hard. There's no obstacle course at starting point. But you have to come at a different time. Uh, we, we share a little bit about the life of our church. But the reason that we did that is because we have this conviction that you should know what you're committing to. If you're going to sign on the dotted line, you should read the fine print. You should know what it is that you're committing to. And so this afternoon, I will start by saying, 
Our goal is not to just get people started. Our goal is to help people finish. Our goal is not that you would just say, hey, I'm, I'm in. I think this is really great in one moment in your life, but over the course of many moments in your life, you would be empowered and equipped and encouraged to grow and strengthen in your relationship with Jesus. So that over the course of your life that you may one day be able to come to the place where you could sit back and put your feet up in the rocking chair and say, that was worth it. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that I said yes. I'm so glad that I committed myself to this. I'm so glad that I did what I needed to do to live this life, to live this life well. That's the goal for my life and that's my goal for your life as well. But then when we get to talking about membership, the, the theme of that, of that whole section is this. There are no perks. There are no privileges of being a member here at this church. There's only responsibilities. So if you want to join the church, that's great. We were really excited, but know what you're getting yourself into. You don't get a better parking spot. Uh, we don't save you a seat uh, in worship. There, there, there's no perks to being a member. In fact, the only thing you get in greater abundance is responsibilities. Because when we need help, you're the first person that we call. When we need people to give, you're the first person that we're going to call. When we ask people to sacrifice, we're going to expect that you are going to be one of the first to sacrifice. Because that's what it means to be a member of a family. That's what it means to commit. That's what it means to, to really say yes to, to being a part of this family, as a member of this family. And when we get to talking about service and serving our neighbors and serving our local community and giving so that orphans on the other side of the world can, can have their hope restored, when we talk about what does it mean to give up a Saturday and to go feed the homeless, or what does it mean to, to give up a Wednesday evening and go to, to help feed the kids for summer, when we talk about those things, here's what I say to people. If you don't want to serve others, do not join this church. We will annoy you. You will be so aggravated each and every weekend. We will antagonize you. If you don't see any value in baking some cookies to bless someone who is incarcerated, don't join this church because it will just drive you crazy. To be a part of this family of faith because this is who we are and this is what we do. And if it's not in you, if it's not in you, then this place isn't going to feel like home. This isn't going to feel like the place that you need to be because this is who, this is who we are. And these are the things that we, that we do. Remember what we said a few weeks ago. Jesus, at this point, has made a decision. He's going to Jerusalem. Luke chapter 9, verse 51, as the time approached, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He is not heading for a nice, relaxing weekend in the desert oasis of Jericho. He's going to Jerusalem. And everyone who is traveling with him has already heard from Jesus what will happen when he gets there. And so, in a moment that is really born out of love, a moment that is really born out of grace, Jesus says, if you don't want to do this, you might want to turn around now. If, if you're not really interested in this, if this is not in you like it's in me, 
this is not a trip that's going to end well for you. Are you sure? Are you sure that you want to continue this journey with me to Jerusalem? Are you sure that you're willing to pay this cost? Are you, are you sure that you are ready to be one of my disciples? Because I'm not going to Jericho. We're not going just to hang out and have a good time. I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to lay my life down. And it's going to get ugly there. And if you don't want to do this, if you're not interested in this, now's the time to turn back. There are words we find in the Gospels that inspire us and encourage us and fill us with life. We think about the word grace and forgiveness and peace and all these things that that Jesus promises us and and who doesn't want that? Words that strengthen us and, 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 and give us energy when we find ourselves just without. We love those words, don't we? We love it when Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. But there are other words that Jesus shares too. Words that are challenging. And words that are a reminder that if your answer is yes, this is, this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So here, is the, here are the questions that we, that we ask. Are, am I ready? Are you really ready to be a disciple of Jesus? And do you understand the cost? Because Jesus wants to spare you the embarrassment of finding yourself in a place where you are not prepared to pay that cost. And so here... Here's the warning. Nothing's going to stop me from going to Jerusalem, Jesus says. Do you really want to continue on this road with me? And so as you come today to receive Holy Communion, a sacrament, a gift that God has made available for you, I want you to think about those beautiful words of life that we find in the Gospels. I want you to think about God's love and God's peace. I want you in receiving these simple elements to be reminded that, that you are a child of God embraced by the love of God. But before you leave, don't leave without also hearing the words of challenge. That grace that has been shared with you is grace that is meant to be shared with others. And that there just might be something, there just might be something that God is challenging you to do if you're going to continue on this road with Jesus to Jerusalem. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of life that you have blessed us each with, for our chance to share this gift with one another for the opportunity this morning to come to this place and to receive these gifts of, of this bread and this juice which represent your sacrifice for the entire world. Lord, may we hear today your words of grace and love and may we also today, Lord, hear your words of challenge that we may be the people you have called us to be. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.